as we stand, let me pray. Our God and Father in, in heaven, we do pray that as we uh, listen to the voice of your Son, the Lord Jesus, through your word, we pray that uh, not only our lips but our lives would indeed praise you and praise your Son's holy name, that we would indeed bring honour to you and uh, make Jesus all the more famous in our neighbourhoods and uh, in, in your world. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn, uh, if you would, to page 1033 in the Church Bibles. It is uh, good to be here. I'm uh, very aware as I look back on Christian ministry, you know, did basically two curacies, one in Oxfordshire and one here. And uh, you look back, uh, I look back on the ministries and you realise that when you're an assistant minister or second kind of in command, like, you know, like uh, Paul's new curate will be, an associate minister will be, uh, you realise that you, um, you take for granted that the, that, that the vicar's in charge uh, and uh, you feel a lot more liberty when you're, when you're speaking. And uh, I find that perhaps as I look back, I've been moments where I've been a bit, perhaps a bit too blunt or harsh and you, you long when you, you go back to somewhere where you were for, for a while to you know, have something a lot more encouraging to say. Uh, and for folks to just think, well, yeah, he has grown up a little bit since he's left here. Uh, and then uh, Paul invites me. It's great to be back with you. And I'm very thankful to Paul for the invitation to be with you today. But then he gives me these blessings and woes. And I think, oh, thanks, Paul. Anyway, it's, it's God's word. It's Jesus' word. Uh, and uh, just pray that our minds and our hearts would really be in tune with wanting to hear what Jesus has to say to us. I know that for, for many of us, we're, we're, this is a section of the Bible that we've, been, we've heard before a lot of times. Uh, and uh, we, we can get used to it. So just pray with me for that, that freshness of mind and heart to listen in to what Jesus has to say to us. And it may not be comfortable. Uh, I was uh, reading in the newspaper today about uh, the Himalayan kingdom of Bhutan. And the, the things I was reading really made me think, well, there's a place that I really wouldn't mind going to live in. It sounds great. They don't measure progress in terms of gross national product, but in terms of gross national happiness. And I thought, well, hey, that sounds good. Uh, my mind went to sort of imagining what it would be like, really, the, this Himalayan kingdom, uh, the backdrop of the most astonishingly beautiful, majestic, fantastic, snow-covered mountains and vast, deep, green, lush valleys. Uh, and uh, the sort of tinkling of uh, one of those wind chimes and the whiff of Jostik and uh, a government gathering to plan for its people's happiness. It just sounds, sounds great. I'd love to live there. I also read in another article about David Cameron and he was at this conference, Google conference, and he said this, it's time we admitted there's more to life than money. It's time we focus not on GDP, but GWB, general well-being. And I thought, well, yeah, but I can't quite, you know, my imagination can't quite run with that in the same way as it can with Bhutan, you know. Imagine our government getting together to plan, but we, I can't imagine it, to plan for our well-being and our happiness. It doesn't seem to uh, cut into our culture in the same sort of way. But what are the ingredients that lead to happiness? What are the ingredients that lead to our well-being, to the, uh, to, to the good life, if I can put it that way? Well, uh, Jesus' words here, to put it mildly, are revolutionary. In uh, verses 12 to 16 of chapter 6 of Luke, 
Jesus appoints 12 men and he's clearly echoing the 12 sons of Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel. No doubt at all what Jesus is doing is he's replacing the old kingdom with a new kingdom. And of course he speaks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven and he's talking about starting something new under his rule, under his leadership. And the many appoints, they're not cabinet ministers. God's kingdom isn't a political or a geographical or an ethnic kingdom. No, they are designated, look at uh, verse 13 there, they are designated apostles, messengers. They are. Now they are the ones that Jesus is going to train and equip to take his revolution, God's revolution, across the world. They're going to cut right across national and racial boundaries. And of course, that's exactly what happens in Luke's second book, the book of Acts. It's exactly what they do. And in the section that follows, uh, uh, Jesus demonstrates God's awesome power uh, and God's compassion and loving authority. This huge crowd gathers a flock from all over the place and Jesus heals them and he restores them and he regenerates and he refreshes. This really is uh, what things are like under God's authority in his kingdom. A wonderful picture there of wrong being put to right and Jesus' God-given authority to do it. Uh, Dr. Luke, and he is a doctor though, is uh, mostly interested in Jesus' teaching. Uh, There in verse 18, he he mentions and states that uh, this flock come to hear Jesus. And then in verse 20, uh, we get the beginning of uh, what we call the Sermon on the Plain. Looking up, Jesus sees this vast crowd and he said, and so begins this Sermon on the Plain. Jesus is teaching, teaching what the kingdom of God is going to be like. Uh, And he starts by telling us what the blessed life, the good life, is all about. And uh, I think the first thing that Jesus does in his revolutionary teaching is this, is he calls us to reverse our values. To reverse our values and trust his promise. And that's verses 20 to 23. To reverse our values and to trust his promise. And the key words are quite clear, aren't they? They're obvious. It's the word blessed and the word for. The word blessed. Well, Today, uh, I don't know if you, you, if you use it or uh, use the word bless in this way or you, you've heard people that do, but nowadays bless has become kind of a patronising exclamation of something that we think cute. We go, oh, bless. You heard people say that? Bless. It rather ruins the word, really, from uh, what it really means. Blessed means uh, being favoured. It means being honoured. Honoured by God. Privileged by God. It's not something quaint and patronising to say of something we think is cute. It's it's actually a very rich, deep, meaningful thing to be honoured by God. I mean, what else could that be want to achieve in life and God's honour? It's a wonderful thing. But uh, the message is powerful, isn't it? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And it's not talking about Sunday lunch. Blessed are you who weep now, 
For you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. What words would you use to describe Jesus' teaching here? I mean, it is powerful, isn't it? It is in your face, kind of. It's very blunt. And it is very challenging. It is a reversal of values. It is a revolution that he's speaking of here. It's very uncomfortable. Is poverty a blessing? A hunger of favour, weeping on honour and being hated a privilege? That is not the way that we think, is it? We think the opposite. Jesus turns things round. The question is, is is this really a, a benediction on misery though? Is Jesus saying that if I'm poor, hungry, miserable and unpopular in this life, then he promises me heaven in the next. If that was the case, then the interested inquirer has every right to think, oh, I was right all along. God is a killjoy. Christianity is, as I thought all along, about a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, having a really bad old time, uh, and, and earning, and through that, earning God's favour and blessing. But that is, uh, that's not right. That, that isn't Christianity. Uh, history, however, is, is peppered with people, is peppered with movements who, who've run with that idea of Christianity. It, it, I think it's one of the views that Dan Brown has as uh, he, he sort of portrays Christianity through uh, his uh, book, which is, you know, became that great you know, world bestseller, the film now, The Da Vinci Code. Well, in, in the book, if you've not read it, there's this uh, albino monk called Silas, uh, and he's, a, he's the henchman and, and the murderer. Uh, and yet he's profoundly religious. And he, he wears this belt on his thigh with these studs in it that, you know, he has to tighten up. He has to, you know, certain hours of the day that he has to wear it and, you know, a couple of days, you know, he wears it for extra two hours. He doesn't have to, but, you know, he, he keeps twisting this thing so that it's digging him and drawing blood out of his thigh. And, and, and the phrase that Dan Brown uses to describe what's going on there is Silas feels the cleansing work of what he's doing. He gets his whip out and he's whacking his back till it bleeds. And again, he feels the cleansing power of what he's doing, earning God's favour, winning it. Uh, And uh, that kind of Christianity, well, it's not Christianity, that kind of religion often does well. Actually, it's got a good pedigree, if I can put it that way, in English culture. Uh, A couple of years ago, I was just trying to come to terms with uh, with Christian ministry in in England for for the long term. Uh, And one of the things that just keeps striking me is is how cynical we are. And so I I asked various friends, you know, what... How do you keep going in Christian ministry in such a cynical culture? Uh, and uh, one person, it was George Lings, actually, who's uh, one, of the, uh, one of our consultants on church planting, consultant to, to us here at Fullwood. And church planting is one, uh, one of our trustees at Christ Church Central. He suggested that I read uh, Jeremy Paxman's book, The English. You know, there's a cynic on, on cynical people. And there's a chapter in that book where he, he talks about how the English really enjoy being unhappy and how we revel in it and maybe that's the reason why you know this this kind of 
terrible you know, twisting of Christianity has done well often in England. Uh, he begins, uh, Jeremy Patterson begins that chapter in the book by quoting this guy called Arthur Murray. It's a quote from 1758. The people of England are never so happy as when you tell them they are ruined. It rings true, doesn't it? But it, that is a distortion of Christianity. And we remember today, don't we, the Lord's Supper. And it's not my, our suffering, death. It's Jesus. His suffering, his death for us, that wins us life and eternity. Now, these other things that have paraded as Christianity, but they're a reversal of what we celebrate, the heart of our faith, month by month. I think the key to unlock what Jesus is saying here is that final phrase there in verse 22, because of the Son of Man. The fourth blessing has got more material in it. Just look at it. It's got, it says more than the first three blessings. Uh, first of all, there are three negatives that define the current circumstances. So it begins, blessed are you when men hate you. Uh, and then Jesus describes what he means by hatred when you are, number one, excluded, number two, insulted, and number three, rejected. And then there are three positives that define the future circumstances. Uh, and uh, they, rejoice, they, they define what it's going to be like in the, in the future. Rejoice, leap for joy, great is your reward. And so the, the poetic structure... It actually puts the emphasis of, what, of, the, of that, that blessing right in the, the, the core statement, the, the one right in the middle that's sandwiched there, the heart of the blessing, because of the Son of Man. Because of the Son of the Man. That's the heart of the matter. See, when we come to see who Jesus is, that he is the Son of Man, and that's not a statement of humility, isn't it? We know from the Old Testament, from Daniel 7, that it's a statement about, uh, about God's king, uh, the, the one who comes with all God's authority over the entire universe. Well, when we come to see Jesus as the Son of Man, then no matter how rich or well-fed or happy or popular we are in worldly terms, when we see him, we know our absolute utter poverty. We know the desperateness of our situation. This works out in experience, in reality, doesn't it? We've got a guy called Dave down at Christchurch Central. And Dave was born and brought up on the manor here in Sheffield. And had a right rough old upbringing in, in, in all sorts of ways. And he had a number of key aims for his life. Number one, to get out of poverty. Number two, to have a family which you know, held together and was stable. Number three, to have a really good job. Number four, he loved cars. You know, get some good cars. Well, as he approached the age of 40 he realised that he got it all. But it just stuck in his mind and it, it just felt it deeply in his heart that he had all that he had aimed for, but he had nothing. He was as empty as ever. And he finds himself comparing and living and thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is, and he's uh, come through to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's a, a sense in what Jesus is saying there around, around that sort of area, but I think the main point is this. If we do the right thing and choose to serve Jesus as our King, if we treat him as the Son of Man, the one with all of God's authority over the universe, over us, then wealth, luxury, happiness and popularity are not 
the most likely result. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. If you're going to follow me, then all that you might want to live for isn't necessarily going to be yours. Because of the Son of Man, you may find a glass ceiling on your career. And in fact, in many parts of the world, following Jesus is the direct route, it is the shortcut to poverty, hunger, grief and rejection. Ask any of uh, uh, the missionaries, partners that uh, Christchurch Fullwood supports in other parts of the world, in Central Asia, a couple of families there, Mangles, Rogers, ask them what it means in the culture that they live in when they're overseas, what it's like to become a Christian and what that'll mean for you. If you're, you know, perhaps a doctor just heading up uh, through, the, the, through the, the career there. and you, You're up front about serving Jesus as king of the whole universe. You know, the brakes go on for your career. We've got a young man who's uh, just about to return to the Far East and uh, this is his second time going back home. He's a student over here. Uh, and uh, second time going home since he was converted and baptised. Uh, and uh, just literally last week, I think it was, or the week before, he got a letter from his family simply saying how utterly disappointed they were in him and his conversion. Uh, and he's got to go home and live with his family over the next months, knowing that. They are utterly, totally, completely disappointed in him beginnings of rejection and that's from folks who are in a religion that in the West we think is, a, we think is probably the religion of peace now he's going to have to believe Jesus' his promise isn't he he has reversed his values with his own family and put Jesus first and now he's got to hold on to Jesus' promise blessed you are in the kingdom the kingdom is yours there will come a time when you will leap for joy, though there's sadness in your heart at the moment. And it's not just a sort of uh, how Christians relate to, uh, to other, other religions and the reaction there. We, we have a British student who's just about to go home for the summer holidays and she's been told, she's, uh, she's grown, well, she's left home. She's been told by her family that she cannot come back to Sheffield uh, for, uh, for a week to be involved in this uh, mission that... Uh, Christchurch Central and a number of other churches, Fullwood are involved with a, with a small team. This thing we call in Summer in the City. It's kind of like uh, the Yorkshire Gospel Partnership, which has started in recent months at a grassroots level in Sheffield. A, a week of mission together, doing some training for folks who are going to come from different parts of the country, as well as Sheffield, uh, students and the like, do some training in the morning and then get involved in evangelism in the afternoon and in the evenings in our local churches. Well, she's been told she can't come to that. And it's on account of the Son of Man that her parents have, have infringed her freedom, have they not? That's what's happened. And so she, she was sharing this with me, she had tears in her, in her eyes. She'd love to do that. She, she's grown in faith and confidence over this last year. And this to her would have been just a, a super, another super opportunity to grow in Christ and to grow in confidence in the gospel and sharing it. Mum and I say, no. You've got to hold on to Jesus, isn't she? And his promise. Yours is the kingdom. You are receiving grief. It does hurt. But you will leap for joy. 
Jesus is not saying, do all you can to be hated and I'll give you heaven in return. He's saying, in serving me, it's more than likely you will be rejected. You're going to have to reverse your values over what you live for in the present. Me or wealth, luxury, happiness and popularity. You're going to have to trust my promise for the future. Uh, you come to a church like this, Christchurch Fullwood, uh, and any, any visitor coming in will looks and, and says, well, actually, these folks, these folks are doing well. They have done well. Done very well in worldly terms. But it doesn't actually take long to get to know one another and scratch below the surface. In actual fact, there is pain. Some of those those stories I've just told about that young woman and that young guy has got to head back to the far east. That'll relate to our lives, to to you folks here. And for some, perhaps this morning particularly, you're aware of the hurt that there has been in your life on account of the Son of Man. And perhaps today is a day for you to hold on and to take to heart Jesus' promise and Jesus' words. You are blessed. Yours is the kingdom. You will leap for joy. I know the, gl- the gladness of heaven, the exuberance of it. Trust my promise and carry on reversing the world's values. Stick with my values, says Jesus. Well, the second thing that uh, I think Jesus would want us to take home from his words today is, uh, really it's the second section there, verse 24 to 26, is to switch our horizons and heed his warning. To switch our horizons and, uh, and to heed his warning. Now, the key words again, they're obvious. The word woe, repeated there, and again the word for. A woe sounds like a pronouncement of judgment or anger. It is, however, a statement of sorrow or pity. And again, Jesus' understanding of the good life it is the opposite to ours. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Again, it sounds like uh, the words of the divine killjoy. But it isn't. It isn't. Uh, One of our our, our young leaders down at uh, Christchurch Central, uh, and it's probably best if I describe him a little bit to you. Some of you may remember him. Uh, but uh, if I describe him, then his words take on a, a fuller meaning. Uh, Dave, his main sport is frisbee. Uh, and uh, he is Mr. So laid back, you know, I'm horizontal in life. Uh, he is actually leading your youth house party this year. So um, that'll be interesting for your young people. He's done it before, I think, they get on well. But Dave once said this, I am the last person to get in the way of me having a good time. I'm the last person to get in the way of me having a good time. But Jesus actually assumes that we are not very good judges of what a good time is. But we're actually not very good judges of what a good time for ourselves personally is. C.S. Lewis said uh, that it's not that we're too hedonistic, it's that we're not hedonistic enough. We actually, we get, we get the horizons wrong and we go in for the, the wrong thing. Our danger is that we so focus on the now that we forget that there is going to be a then. 
It's like Emmy quotes C.S. Lewis, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. And the key to understanding lasting happiness is to switch our horizons. Uh, to take a much longer view than simply the immediate happiness and instant satisfaction. If our aim in life now is wealth, we'll lose sight of the eternal and end up in eternal poverty. That's verse 24. If our aim is for good food and health now, we'll forget eternity and uh, we will have uh, poverty, hunger, desperate hunger, In the next world, verse 25. If our number one aim is happiness in this life, we'll take our eye off the really important ball and we'll forever weep at being excluded from God's kingdom. Separation from God. If we live for popularity and fame now, we'll end up in danger of being so in now, we're left out then. To quote Paul's predecessor from this pulpit on this passage, so in now, we're left out then. It's hard, I think, for us to take on board what Jesus is saying here because part of the difficulty is that the Bible, God is not down on wealth. And that's what makes it difficult for us to, to, to say, okay, well, you know, 1 Timothy 6, wealth, it's about, we've got to be thankful for what God gives to us. But how do we stop it becoming number one? How do we stop the aim for happiness becoming the number one thing in our lives? Because that's the big danger, isn't it? We need, I think, to meditate, to review, to think about these woes. I mean, who of us would dream of turning down a promotion or an increased salary? Who of us here, just thinking about our pensions, didn't think wisely to ensure that we are comfortable and as well off as we can be in our in our the, the years of our retirement. Who else didn't do that? Who of us isn't tempted by the M&S advert? It isn't ordinary food, it's M&S. And then you get a great description of what it really is. Who of us would choose a week in Skegness over two weeks in the Seychelles? You know, who of us here would be really happy... You know, to hear that your, your grandchildren were going to move to Sheffield and they chose not to move into this area, which is the best catchment area for their happiness, but chose another part of Sheffield where your grandchildren's happiness may not actually seem to work out so well as the schools in this particular area. Who of us doesn't like to be liked? That's the one I struggle with the most. I like to be liked. The danger is that we call ourselves Christians, we think, we sometimes look like we're living under Jesus' rule, but scratch the surface and the reality is that we're living for all the wrong things. Prosperity, health, happiness, popularity. Following Jesus may mean losing them. And sometimes because of that, we can end up in our Christian lives, especially those of us that have been walking with the Lord for, for, for longer, 
we can end up with just in a routine where we are keeping Jesus at a safe distance because we know if we let him too close, well, we fear that if we let him too close, he'll go and disturb things and mess it up and we might have to give up some stuff and change. So keep him out. We need, don't we, to hear these woes. See, if that is us, woe to you. You have received your comfort. You will mourn and weep. So let's encourage each other. Let's pray that we do indeed heed the warning of Jesus. And we do live with switched horizons and reverse values. We live with him as the Son of Man. Let's uh, keep our Bibles open, shall we? Uh, And just a moment of quiet, just cast our eye down through uh, God's word. Pray quietly, and in a moment Paul will lead us in the rest of our intercessions.